Hi everyone, welcome back to For the Girls. We have an incredible guest joining us today, Michaela, also known as She Loves F1. Michaela creates fun, inventive, and informative F1 content across TikTok, where she has nearly 100,000 followers, plus Instagram and Twitter. With that, we will jump right in. We're so excited to hear all of Michaela's thoughts on the weekend. I'm Sarah. I'm Chessa. And I'm Tiggy. Michaela, welcome. We are so excited to have you here. So for those of you who don't know Michaela yet, which I'm sure there are very few of you, (laughs) she has come up with some of the most iconic F1 catchphrases out there. My personal favorite is Esty Bestie, which he used in his Monaco podium speech. Huge claim to fame there. Um, We will do some rapid fire hot takes at the end to get to know you even better, Michaela. But just to start, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, about your content, where you're from, how you got into F1, all the good stuff. Oh, you girls are so sweet. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm so excited to chat with you because chatting with other women about F1, it's literally my favorite thing in the world. And I mean, it's just so crazy to think about how five years ago I had almost no one in my life to talk to about F1. And now I have so many people to talk to it (laughs) about it that it just it brings me so much joy. And every single day I see more and more people creating content, creating podcasts and more of them being women. And that just makes me so, so excited. So thank you all for having me here. Um, so I'm the, I guess, space and voice and creative mind behind She Loves F1. And I found out about F1 um, kind of an interesting way. I grew up watching motorsport. I watched a lot of NASCAR and IndyCar thanks to my dad. And so I was on track all the time. It was a very like normal experience for me. But in America, it wasn't really something at least for F1 that I really knew about until I went on a first date with a guy who took (laughs) me to see the Senna documentary in theaters. No way. Yes. (laughs) And I remember we were both, you know, obviously crying during the movie because it's a, it's a wonderful film for anyone who hasn't seen it. And I highly recommend it. Um, And he was Brazilian. So obviously he had a really deep connection to it as well. And I just remember thinking, gosh, I have got to learn more about this sport (laughs) And like, I think a lot of people, um, once I started learning more about it, I quickly became obsessed. And so I'm just really excited that now we have so many people creating communities and fostering that sense of community, especially for women to kind of feel safe in what used to be a really male dominated space. And and that can sometimes feel a little invalidating as a woman and and really hard to navigate sometimes because you always have to know the right thing and say the right thing and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, basically be an encyclopedia of statistics. And (laughs) so I really, my goal with Sheila's F1 has really just to be the opposite of that and to be very welcoming and opening and fun and lighthearted and just a little bit sillier, um, which some people like and some people don't like. But um, at the end of the day, I think we're all here to um, as fans and and no fan looks alike or talks the same. And, and I think that's okay. That is our favorite thing about the sport. And Tiggy, I think you say this a lot too, but there's no like limit as to where or why you can be an F1 fan. And there's a reason and a niche for everyone. So that's what exactly. makes it oh, so great. And the community is coming out of it. So amazing. So let's start off the Hungarian Grand Prix recap, shall we? How about we usually do our, like our main recap and thoughts. So we'll let you guys go first, like Tiggy and Sarah, and then um, we'll hear Michaela's thoughts. 
Okay. I I loved this weekend. I don't know. I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. I'm a broken record on this one, but F1 can still be so exciting, even when there's kind of a runaway team and driver in first place. Mikhail, I'm sure you hear this. We hear this all the time, kind of people saying, oh, I'm not really watching this season. It's not that fun when we know who's going to win. But Carlos Sainz kind of put it best in the press conference. He said, now McLaren, Aston, Mercedes, and Ferrari can kind of all be in play for that kind of upper midfield podium contention spot, really depending on the tracking conditions. And as we've seen, a lot of those teams can't even predict when their own car is going to run well. So (laughs) that always brings a component of excitement. McLaren just continues to thrill the shock Mercedes pole really mixed up the weekend. And I love seeing how the quality spreads have gotten just so tight. We had Max only three hundredths off Lewis, but then at the same time, so many of these teams cannot keep up with race pace and conditions on Sunday. They can put together this crazy Saturday and just can't make it happen on Sunday. So really excited to kind of get into that dynamic and Again, broken record from me, but congrats to Max and the team for, again, <laughs> shocking. Congrats. Play of perfection. And also, I'm personally very happy with Danny Rick's weekend, which I'm sure we all have a ton <laughs> of thoughts about. I cannot wait to get into the Danny conversation. We have had differing thoughts on the podcast on kind of predicted or how we feel the rest of the season is going to fare and beyond, but I, I cannot wait to chat. Yeah, I agree, Sarah. All the above. And I just had so many thoughts about the storylines involved this weekend. I think some people called it an uneventful, slightly boring race, but like there was so much going on. I, for me, also a broken record, I guess. I don't think I have felt the level of excitement that I felt on Saturday with Lewis's poll all season and maybe longer. (laughs) Like we'll talk about (laughs) where we were and our reactions to that. But that was just, I'm, I'm still reeling, even if it didn't hold for Sunday. Um, I'm excited to talk about the new quali format. I know it was just a trial for this race, but it did give us so much excitement tying the record for closest top 10 spread in history. So that was really exciting. Um, like we said, Danny's first race back, so much to chat about on that. And then excited to dive into our thoughts on Checo's weekend. Um, I think Mm -hmm. a little bit, I have some nuanced thoughts on that, but I did breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief for him (laughs) on Sunday at least. Um, but yeah, McLaren thrilling Mercedes, a bit confusing and feeling very sorry for Alpine. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Poor Alpine. They just, I I don't know what witch put a hex on their team, but hopefully (laughs) the light is at the end of the tunnel there because it just, I mean, a double DNF for the second weekend in a row. I don't know. That's a really tough one for the entire team from a, just a mentality. That's just, you're just being kicked while you're down. And so you really have to dig deep for that final race before the summer break. And so hopefully they can, you know, bounce back super quick for, for the race this weekend. But man, that was, that was tough to see them with each other. (laughs) Yeah. It was really, really tough to watch. And then for me personally, seeing Daniel kind of mixed up in that for his first race back, I was just like, you know, an instant, like, you know, your stomach drops just seeing all of that. And thank goodness they're all okay. But when you hear that, you know, Esty Bestie's seat was broken, it's just, it really kind of makes you 
um, go back to realizing the importance of safety and that they really are putting their lives on the line every single time they get into this race car and just how incredible it is that he, you know, is absolutely fine, albeit a little bit sore and shaken probably, but my goodness, Alpine just can't seem to catch a break these days. Yeah. It was also crazy. Like how one little bump from Joe then hitting Danny can then hit the two of them. Like it wasn't their fault. And the fact that Akon went like basically went over, um, a Gasly's car was was crazy to see but overall I think my takeaways for the weekend Tiggy I feel you people so I was on the plane during the race and I got off the plane and people were telling me that the race was kind of boring and I was like oh okay interesting so obviously I go watch it right away and it was I think it was far from it we had so many great storylines during quali obviously we had the Mercedes moment that Sarah and I literally almost flipped the table when we when we heard about it we were so excited (laughs) Um, we had like a fun little Alfa Romeo moment they did super well and then, of course, the race, so happy about Checo finally having a great comeback race. The McLarens continue to do well. I think it was an amazing race. So um, we'll stick it to anyone who said it was boring. And we have a lot to talk about. So there you have it. I don't think it was boring at all. And I think people, you know, obviously we came off of some really incredible Formula One seasons. We had the, the really serious battle between Lewis and Max. And then last season, it wasn't kind of as dominant, let's say, as it has been this season. And so I think people probably got used to that nonstop, intense racing competition. And now we're just going back into another era of Formula One that we've, you know, not necessarily seen before, but we've definitely seen teams be super dominant, drivers be super dominant before. And there's so many different things that are happening during a race that you can pay attention to that really do make it exciting. And of course, some are better than others, but I think there's always some really great battles and things going on behind the scenes that just add to the competition. A hundred percent agree. So Michaela, we love doing, we do most valuable player or MVP, which can be a team, a driver, a vibe, anything. What is yours from the weekend? (laughs) I have so I I have it's really hard for me to pick one. I don't know if anyone's ever watched Thirsty Thursday, but I literally can't I have a really hard time ever choosing one, but I did today. I'm going to give my MVP to McLaren because they have just when they came out at the British Grand Prix, I, I think everyone was kind of like, oh, is this just going to be a one off type of thing? And then again, in this race, both Oscar and Lando did so well. Lando gets another podium. I am manifesting that Oscar gets one soon. And yes. that whole team has just turned it around in such a spectacular fashion. And that to me is one of the most impressive things about Formula One is that sometimes something can change just like that and and suddenly they're competitive once again. And I'm just really, really excited and, and hopeful that this is the path and the trajectory that they stay on. And we'll see some, you know, heavy competition among those teams because it seems like Ferrari and Mercedes have kind of, uh, taken steps back in certain ways and steps forward. And then Aston Martin has kind of taken a step back as of late. So it's really exciting to now see McLaren in the mix again. That's a great MVP. And I think it's perfect timing too, because it shows like it's, I feel like it's quite rare that you see teams bring full upgrades and it makes such an immediate impact. Like they brought them for Lando first. Lando did super well. They brought them for Piastri. They both did super well and they continue to do super well. So great one, Michaela. 
And Oscar has been just so mature. Sorry to say that, but he's so yes. mature on the yes. on the radio and he's had some some tough moments, let's say, and I think he's handled it so well. So I'm just really excited for him and feeling very optimistic moving forward. How about you, Tiggy? For me, I am going to completely second that, Michaela, and I'm going to be slightly more specific and say Oscar. I think right now, Oscar is just giving me such life and excitement. He's truly just such an impressive rookie. I think it's not at all debatable to say that he's the most impressive rookie this year and probably, I don't know if it's a hot take, but probably the most impressive rookie since LeClaire, I would say. I think his start was absolutely insane and a a podium I think seems pretty imminent and I would definitely second how calm and collected he is. He wasn't outwardly upset when he lost the podium at Silverstone. He wasn't mad at the team or at Lando over the undercut in Hungary. And on the radio, he wouldn't even concede that Checo pushed him off track. So I think he's also had multiple races of suffering through car damage without complaints and just getting the job done. So I fully agree with McLaren, but Oscar more specifically. And as if he wasn't already a favorite, he's quickly cementing that status for me. (laughs) (laughs) That was so wild. I feel like 90% of drivers on the grid, when they're specifically asked over the radio, oh, did Checo push you off in that corner? They're like, yeah, oh my God, he left me no room. (laughs) Oscar's just like, oh no, I think there was enough space. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So professional. I loved it. Um, For me, I'm going to go with Daniel Ricciardo. I, as anyone who listened to our preview knows, I was really, really hyping him up. I've been so excited about kind of his return to the Red Bull family, even though, as we discussed at length, AlphaTauri is obviously a very, very different car from the Red Bull. I think it just seems so at ease and kind of at peace with where he's at, with the break he had, just being back in kind of a more comfortable racing environment for him. And he had massive pressure on him this weekend, just thinking of the amount of eyes on him. It was all anyone in F1 was talking about, getting into a really underperforming car, being able to not only out-qualify his teammate, but beat him in the race when he was involved in that lap one incident. Thankfully, didn't have damage, was able to continue. But I thought overall it was just a super, super impressive performance from him. And I'm I'm very excited to see what's next. Yeah, he's shown. And I think the fact when when they were interviewing him after the race, like, tell us about that lap one incident, instead of being like, oh, you know, super unlucky. He was like, you know what? I'm just really grateful. I still got to do a full race. Like I really needed that mentally to learn the car and also just physically to get back up to speed and in shape for it. And he had a good energy. And I think finishing P13 after that is is still really good. My MVP is going to be Sarah and you're going to roll their eyes big time. It's Checo. Uh, <laughs> I fell off the Checo train a little bit because he was disappointing me, but I'm back on board. I think P9, right? He started P9 to P3. Yeah. Great turns, some really risky passes that paid off for him. Thankfully, no, no damage. And like when he when he passed Russell, I feel like that could have been really bad, but he played it really well, played it kind of aggressive, but I'm happy with where he ended. So I'm gonna give it to him. Plus a <laughs> 1.9 second pit stop. Perfection. Chef's kiss. My jaw dropped on the floor when I saw the 1.9 pop up. Anything with a one handle, you're just like, what? That's so crazy. Yeah. That was incredible. It's insane. And it goes to show just the level that Red Bull operates across the board because, as we all know, it takes so much to be putting in these dominant performances, not only at the factory, but also in the track side operations. The entire pit crew, everyone needs to be operating 
really just near perfection, all the mechanics, everyone. And Red Bull just does it time after time. Like we have Ferrari with a nine second pit stop and Red Bull with a sub two second pit stop. That (laughs) 9.4 second pit stop. I just held my head in my hands. I was like, how is this possible? (laughs) You know, and then, you know, it's like, when will Charles Leclerc see you know, feel peace again, you know, and then he gets <laughs> the five second penalty for speeding in the pit lane by, I think it was 0.7 kilometers an hour over the speed limit. It's just like when it rains, it pours, he had no water, his radio wasn't working. <laughs> and so you see things like that happening at Ferrari and then at Red Bull, it's literally nothing but excellence. And it's those, it's, you know, everyone in the organization that is contributing to the success and, and Red Bull is obviously dominant and successful. And there's so many people that are contributing to that. Totally. They do. Not to like get too much on the Red Bull hype train, but they really deserve the credit. I think in an organization, especially in Formula One, we know how hard it is to string a race together, how many moving pieces go into that, the perfection needed across the board, and just to be able to do that time and time again with literally zero mistakes is just, I feel like we're really witnessing a crazy moment 100%. in history, 100%. which is hard for me to admit, but <laughs> I'm happy for them. Sarah's like smiling, like, I told you guys. <laughs> Finally... Um, Okay, let's do our LVPs. Michaela, who is your LVP least valuable player? Again, it could be a vibe too. I'm I'm going with another team and it's Alpine. I mean, it was, you know, it it was a terrible, terrible Sunday for them. It just doesn't get worse than that. It it just doesn't really, I mean, it was awful luck too on, on their part. And, but that is the name of the game in Formula One. And like I said earlier, I, I really hope that they're able to turn it around, hopefully in, in Spa, and if not, just over the summer break, be able to kind of like close a laptop and, and take a deep breath and come back after the summer break feeling refreshed and ready to go. But, you know, when you have back-to-back weekends that look like that, it, it not only impacts the drivers, it impacts everyone at the team and, you know, in the constructor standings and with Pierre coming to the team, I'm sure that he really had high expectations for the team and his season has not been a spectacular one, unfortunately for him. And so it just, man, my heart breaks for them. I really hope that it turns it around. Okay. Question for you guys on this one. If you're Otmar, how do you walk away from this double DNF versus the last one? Because this one was kind of an accident. Wasn't, it was Joe's fault, which is my LVP. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty brutal. They're also going through management top-level shakeups. Laurent Rossi just stepped down from CEO and is moving to special projects. And I wonder if Otmar is feeling the heat for his seat and his job. Um, I mean, there's not much more you can do. You know, bring upgrades, try and motivate the team, hype them up, and pray for not for you know less bad luck. Because I feel like in their case it's less their fault and it's more just a string of bad chance and bad luck that has happened. And I guess there's only so much you can do to control that. Yeah. I think that is a part of formula one though. It's sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. And sometimes you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, um, which is unfortunate because it, it is a game of, of luck in that respect, but it's also a game of skill and everyone is at, 
the top, top, top of their given skill level. So it's really tough. And I, I'm sure Atmar is feeling the pressure from not only the powers that be, but all of their sponsors and mm-hmm. all of the people coming in and, and paying a lot of money for Alpine. And so you have to wonder the the conversations that are being have behind closed doors and what that looks like, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are unhappy, regardless what. of what's, why they DNF'd. You know, a DNF is a DNF. I hope Otmar yeah. hangs on. I became such an Otmar fan after Drive to Survive, kind of getting to see the snippets of his personality in there. For me, I think I have to go with Lando's radio. It was a little bit much for me at times, this race. I love Lando, but the Blue Flags comment where he 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 was complaining was about the, the Blue Flagged cars not getting out of the way – which is which I 100% think drivers should be calling out because it's really ridiculous and unnecessary and impedes people's races when cars being lapped aren't getting out of the way. But he added in the line, they're not even racing for anything, something it's like horrible. that, which is so mean. 100% true. Everyone knows it. It's just very unspoken. And to have it kind of out there so blatantly was just like, oh, ouch. That was I a good totally one, Sarah. agree. That was really brutal. And Lando had a string of things. I mean, the breaking Max's trophy was like funny in the moment, but the amount of time and effort and money that went into those beautiful handmade trophies is just kind of heartbreaking. It's the prettiest (laughs) trophy of the entire calendar, I think. And of course, it was an honest mistake from Lando and like as honest as it could be when he's doing the same thing. But, you know, when... (laughs) <laughs> yes, every time. And then I feel like he just kind of played it off in his own, you know, Lando way in press conferences. Yeah. And I think for some people, maybe they were looking for a little bit more of a genuine apology for that yeah. um, to kind of like balance out the, yeah, I made a mistake and, you know, I have my my sense of humor about it, but I am, you know, really sorry for breaking your, your trophy. Like I do think sometimes an apology goes a long way, even if, you know, he didn't, he of course didn't do it on purpose. Right. Totally. I fully second that. We have some Hungarian listeners and one of them was DMing us with like all the details before the news started circulating on what this cost, how long it took to make. Like she was like that. I was so heartbroken. Every centimeter oh. of that thing was handmade, made of precious materials, it takes really six months time. to make. The cost oh is exorbitant. Gosh. It's like such a huge part of our culture and an F1. Like it was just so heartbreaking. So yeah, totally not his fall like he obviously didn't do it intentionally but I totally agree that maybe a little bit of an apology could have <laughs> could have been nice luckily it well, seems like he and Max though yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think again broken record I think Max is actually quite funny and I think this is a good <laughs> example of how I think granted him and Lando are good friends so it's I think a lot kind of easier when when it's your own good friend but I think Max does a good job of just kind of brushing off things like that Yeah, because I think most people, well, not most people, but there would be some people that might be really upset by that. And that could have made it a little bit more of an awkward situation. But Max did handle it really well with such class, just kind of brushed it off and was joking with him in the media pit, which I think is nice because in those moments, if it gets too tense, then, you know, there's just there's a lot of drama already behind the scenes in F1. We don't need to (laughs) add any more. (laughs) Totally. 
So my LVP, I think we already talked about it, but really just Ferrari, the downward spiral is spiraling just from (laughs) (laughs) the, you know, the 10 second pit stop, the radio debacle, which was just awkward, the five second penalty and just... All no water was, for sure. Yeah, no there. water. Just I felt it bad. Was so hot. <laughs> yeah. Oy, it's just, okay. It just seems to be unraveling at Ferrari. <laughs> you know, every weekend Wait. it seems like they're having to like call out their own strategy or asking what plan A is, and no one knows. <laughs> and you're just like, how is this a professional organization? And of course, we're just watching it. So we're sitting on the sidelines. So it's very easy to you know, judge from afar, but it's, we're armchair experts. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it's also like, I think everyone can agree that a 9.4 second pit stop in formula one (laughs) is far, far too long of a pit stop. And, you know, drivers should have water (laughs) when it's running on the racing. I want to try to do a pit stop. I think it was like Ben, was it Ben Stiller who tried to do one? It wasn't him, but it was some other celebrity that tried to pick up the wheel, like literally fell backwards. Maybe it was Tom Cruise. (laughs) So I, but I agree, 9.10 seconds is egregious. Um, but I think that, that between the four of us, if we really put our minds to it in practice, we could rip out a 10-second pit stop pretty easy. I think I think we should we should hang out and try. We could have one person on wheel gun, <laughs> two people taking off. I don't even know how we would do it. But And I think it relates to our Red Bull discussion too, where and exactly what Michaela was saying about how F1 is sometimes a game of luck. Sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. Sometimes you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But what really separates teams like Red Bull and Mercedes, maybe less so this weekend, but often Mercedes too, is just always with these smaller details, making sure they're in the best position so that either they can capitalize on luck, like Lewis getting a bit lucky with that safety car in Silverstone or make the most of a bad situation because Mercedes, even when they're slow, they're kind of grinding in P6. They're making sure like things like pit stop strategy, execution are just all on lock so that they can make the most of it. And Ferrari every time just seems to not do that. And I, I'm just super curious about what's kind of going on behind the scenes with Carlos and Charles, potential contract issues. We can get into that more later, but definitely doesn't seem like a happy place going into vacation. No, no. The margins are so fine in Formula One that you really have to be on your A game all the time. You know, every every thousandth of a second counts. And that's not only for the drivers, that's for um, people doing the pit stops. That's everyone needs to be operating at their highest peak potential, like we were talking about earlier, when you're just seeing just like this egregious difference between teams it's kind of like what is going on to make this unravel so spectacularly in front of our eyes like it it can't be that bad and that it continues to be that bad <laughs> and then it is <laughs> Just speaks Italian. let's put her in let's put her in <laughs> okay let's speaking of unraveling let's do our hot takes i want to do mine really fast because i'm so embarrassed i had ferrari and aston martin on podium done <laughs> Mine was also wrong. I had Danny wrecking the points, but that was not P13 is not too shabby in an Alpha Tower after a lap one incident. So I'll give myself like 50%. Yeah. (laughs) I'm also going to give myself 50%. On the Danny front, I said he would not be in the points. So I was was right on that. But I said that he would not outperform Yuki, which he did. Um, And then Checo, I said Checo would come out of his slump, which 
He did in some sense. I have some varying thoughts on that, but I think I'll call that a win because he wasn't knocked out in Q3 and finishing off the podium. <laughs> yeah. He bounced back from crashing yeah. in free practice one. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's all that you can really ask for. Yeah. That was like Wolf. a scary moment. We're like, uh-oh, is it going to be like last weekend and the weekend before and the weekend before, but worse? But no, he turned it around. Michaela, <laughs> um, did you have predictions that went well or not? I try to stay away from predictions mainly because I don't like being wrong and I would probably be wrong a, a lot, but <laughs> I think well. I I was really, really hopeful after Lewis got pole position. I was like, maybe there's just a sprinkling of a doubt that something magical can happen tomorrow. And then obviously the start happened and I was like, well, that, was, we a short, that was a short-lived <laughs> thought in my brain. <laughs> so funny. You know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots? You can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion. Of course, you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch, but since we're in New York City, we've been getting creative. I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacova's is Western to their core, and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacovas is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over $100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacovas. only at Tacovas.com. Let's jump into quality because I think for a lot of people, Saturday was kind of the main highlight of the weekend here. It was such a thriller. Joe was fastest in Q1, and that's when you know you better sit down and pay attention because something is afoot. And as kind of a reminder, this was trying out a new format called alternative tire allocation. So drivers had to be on hards in Q1, mediums in Q2, and softs in Q3. In Q1, the first kind of crazy thing that happened was Russell was the shock elimination here. He was swearing on the radio. Mercedes left it way too late to get in his final flying lap, which was interesting because as I was saying, I feel like they're normally so on it with those sorts of calls. And this was just kind of chaotic, crazy having Russell and what P18 and Lewis on pole. But Danny made it through and Checo. Thank so God. For the nations, we had Albon, Yuki, Russell, K-Mag, and Sargent. For Q2, we had Lando looking super fast. Like we said, the very respectable P13 from Danny. And then we had both Alfa Romeos going through to Q3. I think we were all kind of like, wait, what? Are we reading this right? But that was amazing. We were so happy. So we had eliminated. Unfortunately, we had a Ferrari out. So we had signs out. Then we had Akon, Danny, Stroll, and Gasly. Tiggy, talk to us about P3 or Q3 <laughs> because I think that would have been the highlight of your life. So yes. You know those moments where you're like, where was I when XYZ <laughs> happened? And I'm going to be telling my kids and my grandkids on July 23rd at whatever time it was, I was walking back from basketball and <laughs> and this happened. So this was so thrilling. It was super tight. Like we said, broke the or tied the record for tightest spread in history for the top 10 in quality. And it really looked like a toss up 
between Hamilton, Lando, Max. Lando, unfortunately, could not beat Max's time, but then Max didn't improve. So it was kind of impossible to tell until Lewis crossed the line, but he just made it. It was such a slim margin. But that moment, I got full body chills. I cried twice, <laughs> once in public. We <laughs> mentally prepare ourselves for his first win on this comeback tour. Oh my God. She's going to be out of commission for like a week. She's yeah, going to throw up. We're going to have to be there to take care of her. <laughs> the screaming, crying, throwing up thing will be literal for me. <laughs> um, but it was just so exciting. I mean, as us Lewis fans know, it has been a long time coming. It was his first poll since Saudi in 2021. So it was a really exciting moment. Also for McLaren, P3, P4, followed by Joe and P5, which was his best quality result ever. Leclerc, Botas, Alonso, Checo, and Hulkenberg, um, which is very exciting. So Michaela, where where were you? Sarah and I were at a crepe place eating some breakfast crepes and we were freaking out and we disturbed everyone, but where were you? Um, I'm typically always on my couch because I live on the side of the world where Formula One is normally at four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning. And so I, I roll right out of bed onto the couch and turn on the TV. So I'm normally just screaming in my living room, which for anyone who follows me on Instagram did see me screaming at the Lewis Hamilton (laughs) poll. And, and I think that's one of my favorite things about Formula One is when we're able to witness those truly magical moments, like Lewis getting a pole for first time since 2021. And it's just, it was so, it's so hard to put into words. And, and we've had these moments over time and every fan has their own, you know, I, I just remember like when Daniel Ricardo won in Monaco, you know, that's me <laughs> screaming. And I think it was just so great for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes fans because gosh, it has been rough for you and you really needed that win. And I was just so excited, but I wish that I could be in a place in the world where I could watch Formula One at a normal <laughs> hour and like be a normal human being and enjoy it with other people. But it's normally just me, myself and I. We want the you to come to New York and watch oh, it. Oh yeah. yeah. Your... Of course. Okay. The fact that you're on, what are you on mountain time makes it even more impressive for anyone who does not yet follow Michaela, which you should. She loves F1. You do such good live posting during Quali and races. I can't believe that's at 5 a.m. Wow. Okay. That is sometimes it's like it's earlier than that. So normally free practice is like three to four in the morning, and then quali and the race is a little bit better. But yeah, I I love my live recaps. They're just a little bit fun and obviously a little bit more lighthearted and less factual and more for the entertainment value. But Gosh, it it can be really, really challenging. There are some mornings where I don't do not want to get up, but yeah. that's when your your love for Formula One just gets you out of bed in the morning. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I would have I don't know if I if I would be funnier at 3 a.m., like absolutely delirious, or if I would just be an absolute zombie. Who knows? <laughs> normally there's things happening and I'm like, I'll, you know, it'll perk up. So like, for example, Checo crashing on, you know, Friday, that obviously perked me up because that happened in like the first five minutes. I was like, I guess I'm awake. And then nothing else happened for the rest of the session. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go through quickly kind of start of the race and main highlights. And then we'll get into some of these discussion points by team that we've been talking about. So lap one was a thriller. I think even if you'll find the rest of the race boring, lap one made up for it, except for Lewis fans. I'm sorry, Tiki. That's okay. <laughs> Saturday <laughs> was my moment. Yeah, Saturday, Saturday was just peak. 
Max just had such a good start immediately. got on the inside of Lewis going into turn one. And I've been fascinated recently, at least the past two races, by the McLaren's ability to also just kind of launch up. That action allowed Oscar to pass both Lando and Lewis and come out in P2. So exciting. Meanwhile, sadly, Joe caused a bit of a disaster farther back, as we've talked about. He later clarified that this was because of a car failure. I don't know. He, he said basically a car failure stopped him from getting off the line properly. I don't know how much that also caused missing the breaking point, but who knows? In any event, he missed his breaking point, rear-ended Ricardo. Ricardo was pushed into the Alpines. It's one of those kind of freakishly hard turn one impacts. Both Alpines had to retire. Danny and Joe were able to continue, but that definitely kind of set the stage for a lot of excitement later on in the race because we had um, Piastri up to P2 and Lewis for a long time. There was, there was a lot going on there. Let's start with Red Bull, the unflappable Red Bull who never makes a mistake. We had <laughs> Max win by almost 34 seconds. He was 37 seconds ahead of Checo. Sorry, do you love that? <laughs> I do, but I think almost I'm so curious to hear your all's thoughts. I think almost the bigger conversation point is the beating Checo by 37 seconds because yes. it's just another example of, and I think, to you probably this kind of semi comeback it's like he made q3 but he's in p9 in the best yes. car and i kind of feel like if it was max starting p9 he still would have won the race by like 10 seconds and so granted it's a hard track to overtake to give him credit checo did have some really amazing moves he had yes. great battles with um lewis and alonso he did he did have some really great racing in there but that's just still a huge margin do we yeah. think anyone can even hold a candle to Max at this point? Like, are we going to see anyone else P1 on podium? For the rest of the season, I think it's still possible that someone wins a race, but will someone else win the championship? No, I think absolutely, absolutely not. not. Yeah. <laughs> There's this funny Reddit um, – Excel spreadsheet of like when will Max win the World <laughs> Drivers Championship and it's this like complicated graph and like the gaps and the spreads and it, they think it's going to be Cutter is going to be the the race that he wins which is shockingly early in the season. Reddit fans are on another level. My brother's really into F1 Reddit and first off the memes are great on there but also he was saying people will make incredibly detailed graphics and designs <laughs> and yeah apparently spreadsheets people f1 fans are great michaela if you think anyone kind of has a shot to win who would it be as of right now i, I think i'm going to go with one of the mclarens they seem to be the only ones who can really in a non-red bull car lately that can actually i mean they were staying within max for the first few laps kind of with him he you know max wasn't pulling out like a seven second lead as he normally does and they were kind of staying with him so i think it is it is max's i think there would have to be some sort of electrical dnf or some crazy <laughs> circumstance for him not to win every race at this point but I think we're definitely going to be seeing more of the McLarens on podiums. And to, to piggyback on your earlier point about Checo being 33 seconds or th almost 34 seconds behind Max, I think that him finishing is kind of like best case scenario, of course, besides him winning the race. But just starting from P9, I mean, in the car that is 
light years better than any other car on the grid that has to have, you know, there has to be conversations about that and his qualifying form, even though he is a lot better on Sundays. I think when you're in a Red Bull in the RB19, you have to be performing at a top level every single day. And he really hasn't been doing that. Oh, Mikhail, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because we have had very lively debates on this. Do you think his seat's in danger for next year? And if so, do you think Ricardo has a shot at it? I think with Red Bull, anything is possible. They are an extremely ruthless um, team. And as we saw with the firing of Nick DeVries midseason after Daniel Ricardo and his tire test, that literally seemed to happen overnight via phone call. And of course, they've all came out since then saying it wasn't a phone call, but it did happen really quickly. And I do think that Daniel Ricardo specifically being put in that seat not only puts an enormous amount of pressure on Sergio Perez or Checo, but also on Yuki Sonoda, who before that they were saying that he was going to be like the veteran, the leader of the team. And now they're bringing in Daniel Ricardo, who is now the new leader of the team. And I think that puts both Checo and Yuki in this really, not really an uncomfortable position, but definitely the pressure is on. And I think that they want someone to be as good of a teammate to Max. And we already know that Max and Daniel have a good professional and personal relationship. So that just adds in a little bit of nuance to the conversation when Max is saying, of course, I'd like Daniel as my teammate. I never wanted him to leave. And so you have to think of, you know, obviously performance wise, but from a media perspective, does it really get better than Daniel Ricardo? I mean, I mean, we saw so many Daniel Ricardo posts from the F1 accounts, from the Red Bull accounts, from the AlphaTauri accounts. I mean, he was literally and has been literally everywhere because so many people love him. He's a beloved character in the community. And that's a really tough person to kind of go up against, um, whether you're professionally working against him and he's producing the times that he did in the tire test or just being a media sweetheart and and the public loves him. And that also p- portrays into whatever their strategy is. So I think it's going to be interesting. And I definitely think that if I'm Sergio Perez, I'm going to want to show up and, and show them that I deserve that second seat at Red Bull. Yeah, I think his underperformance this season is less of an issue given Max's dominance. I mean, he could literally win constructors on his own. But if I'm Red Bull, I'm thinking of the next season and the next season after that and thinking that it's going to be a tighter fight. Maybe they still have it in the bag with Max regardless. But I... I think if you compare Checo as a number two to someone like Botas and what he did for Mercedes and for Lewis and Botas was qualifying front row consistently. He was getting great race results. He was helping Lewis out strategy wise. Like that's the really tough thing. Even if Checo can drive from P9 to P3, if he's qualifying outside the first two rows, he's having to spend his races climbing back through the field. Even if he ends up on podium, it's not a lot of help to max. So I really, I still am, in the camp that I think Checo will keep his seat for next year, just given I don't think there's a viable alternative right now that is contractually available <laughs> to join Red Bull. Um, but I do, I totally agree. He really needs to to show up and step up. Tiggy, that's such a good point. We kind of think of some of Checo's high points, like Abu Dhabi 2021, when he had that amazing holdup and defense against Lewis, that really helped Max win the title. And 
yeah, Max doesn't need help this season because he's running away with it. But in so many years where the championship is closer, having a teammate up there makes a huge difference. And with things like undercut, going into turn Mm -hmm. one, if you're going to have, say, two McLarens surrounding you, you have way less options than if you have the Red Bull up there. Okay, so I saw something crazy today that there are still rumors circulating that Charles could replace Checo. And I think I think that's crazy. But let's talk about Charles's frustration this weekend. Like I think Charles is probably picking his head up and looking Tiggy's rolling her eyes. <laughs> I'm not rolling my eyes. I'm thinking. <laughs> I think that like Charles is gonna want to jump ship. Like he has not yet really fully lost it on the team as aggressively as maybe Carlos does sometimes. And I think Charles was this close, if not did, lose his cool on the radio this weekend. So I think, yeah, I don't think he's going to go to Red Bull. I don't think Red Bull really wants him. But I think contractually, Charles could be going somewhere else. I would be shocked if Charles Leclerc left Ferrari because I think he's just, he is the face of Ferrari. I think he's, you know, like he's just tied to them. But I would love, I mean, I would love to see Charles Leclerc in the Red Bull. I think him and and his style of driving would just do so well with RB19. So that would just be incredible to see him and Max race in the same car against each other. I would love that racing personally as a fan, but it is hard to picture him not being in a Ferrari. I don't know how realistic those rumors are, but I think that's why Silly Season is so fun because you're just hearing so many things and so many rumors and most of the time you just never know really what is actually 100%. happening and what what isn't Until but, it and everyone's yeah. reeling. we're a week away <laughs> as kind of painful as it must be for him right now there just aren't really viable alternatives like red bull's locked in mercedes is locked in george is their next generation star kind of a la charles and max um McLaren now that Piastri has shown himself that as someone who can fight at the front McLaren's locked in for I think as long as both of those drivers want to be there at least on their current trajectory so I almost think he could make it worse if he jumps ship and then Ferrari kind of turns it around in a couple years I really don't want something like that to happen so as horrible as it is right now I kind of think he just has to power through and wait for them to hopefully get through this growth period and get closer to meeting their potential. That's, that's a kind way of <laughs> trying to be optimistic. Here, that's a really optimistic way of looking at it. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the Tifosi, thank you. <laughs> a period of personal growth for the team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. We all need that reminder. Yes. For Mercedes, Tiggy and Michaela, I would love to hear kind of what on earth you think is going on with this car it's just <laughs> it's, it's kind of wild i am fascinated albeit sadly fascinated by what is happening like the lack of consistency from lewis saying that the car was at its worst during practice on friday to him getting pole on saturday and then the car being super slow until essentially the last 10 laps when it just started to fly it's a very strange <laughs> phenomenon I think some theories I've seen say that it seems to perform better when it's lighter and with like quality level fuel, which is an interesting theory. Again, kind of about the quality setup versus, you know, a full Sunday race day performance and stringing that together. I think Lewis on Sunday, he had a really bad start, which was unfortunate. And the strategy was also off. I think they waited 
way too long to pit him, maybe banking on a safety car, and it just didn't pay off. Um, he potentially could have had an undercut on Checo, but yeah, it's it's a mystery to me. Michaela, do you have thoughts? I, I agree with you, and I and I also agree with the fact that it's the inconsistency that's worrisome, especially from an organization like Mercedes that was so strong for so long. They were, you know, at rebel levels of performance for so many consistent seasons, and then to see them last season just completely struggle, and this season it's just kind of been all over the place, and they're making mistakes that I, you know, you don't normally see Mercedes, you know, in qualifying you know, bring George out so late and you're just yelling at your TV, wondering what the hell is going on. And even George Russell, who is normally, you know, Mr. Cheerio British, and he's on the radio pressing and you're like, okay, something seriously has to be going on. And then even during the race itself, it seems like the car is constantly evolving and changing. And you're hearing the frustration in Lewis's voice and almost exasperation because he's so out of breath and driving so hard. And you're like, what is going on with this car and within the team itself? It just, it is a bit of a head scratcher and you, you know, hopefully they can figure it out. I know I've seen in, in, in interviews with Toto, how they're, they've already kind of started to work on the 2023 or 2024 car and kind of put their focus on that. But you just have to wonder how much is still being focused on this season and and what's going on behind the scenes. And kudos to Mick Schumacher for his what appears to be nonstop, endless late nights in the simulator. I mean, he's truly putting the team on his back. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you just see how much hard work goes into that reserve driver position and all the people at the factory who are working those really, really late and long hours to try and get them back on track. And so I think that just goes to show the amount of people that are really working within the teams, so many long and crazy hours. And sometimes you know, you don't get the outcomes that you want. And that has to be really, really hard to deal with mentally. I think it's probably especially hard to deal with when you, the teams kind of like plan out all these upgrades. Total was super optimistic about the Mercedes upgrades from this race onwards for the rest of the season. And it just goes to show like the development race is a really interesting one to watch. Like McLaren at the moment obviously is winning it by leaps and bounds Aston Martin seemingly seems to be falling behind. I guess Mercedes, like Tiggy and Michaela, you guys both said, like it's like two steps forward, one step back sort of thing. And I am, I think I'm most shocked right now. Like I, I think I, I'm happy for McLaren. I knew they could pull it, pull it out of the bag, but I'm, I'm really shocked that um, Aston Martin is really slipping back because they have seemingly all the resources in the world. Of course, there's the cost cap, but they really came out guns a blazing this season. I'm surprised. It's interesting how much Alonzo foreshadowed it a little bit where he was super optimistic about the team's prospects, but he did say multiple times, we're not a team that's used to having to develop the car in season in the same way and at the same caliber at these top as these top teams are. And that's so apparent now and another indication of how performing at the top kind of requires so much more than just coming out with a fast car at the beginning of the season. And now they're, yeah, looking slower than the McLaren, arguably slower than the Mercedes and the Ferraris, depending on circumstances. Um, We had friends in town this weekend, Nick and Allison, and Nick's a big Aston Martin fan. uh, And he made such a funny comment that was like when everyone, when 
Alonzo kept saying him and Stroll would, and everyone was saying him and Stroll would get closer in performance. Little did we know it was because Alonzo would be <laughs> slipping down back towards Stroll. <laughs> oh, oh brutal. God. So brutal. I would still, though, love, I do still think, depending on if they can maybe pull some upgrades together, I do think Aston Martin is maybe still in the running for kind of a stealth win just based on Alonzo's pure talent. So I'm, I'm still uh, a bit optimistic about maybe what they can bring the rest of the season. Fingers crossed. All right. I want to, one more quick thing, just, we got to go to Danny. I feel like we've talked about him a little bit. There are so many happy people. I think Michaela, you put it best, just like how many accounts F1 all over the internet online. It's all about Danny, like the announcement of DeVries leaving AlphaTauri, there was basically no mention of DeVries. It was all about Danny's return. And I, I want to have a conversation about his performance and whether we think, I know we talked a little bit about whether he was going to get the Red Bull seat or not, but like what his future could look like kind of after these next six months. I would say from my perspective, at least for this race, like I, if you listen to the preview, you know I wasn't super bullish on his performance this weekend, but he definitely impressed me. I think he did just enough to be in that sweet spot of, you really impressed us, you're better than we thought you might be after three or four lackluster seasons, but in my opinion, not so good yet that you're blowing me out of the water and making Yuki look horrible. He did out-qualify him and he did outperform him, but, you know, Yuki did have a seven-second pit stop. Danny had a beautiful undercut strategy that put him at least like three places ahead. So I'm personally not fully convinced yet that he's 2024 contract ready or 2025 Red Bull material until he's kind of doing that consistently, putting the Alpha Tauri potentially in the points. I mean, Yuki's had a string of impressive in and around the P12 zip code in that car too. So I'm kind of curious how these next races will go for him. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that, for me personally, I'm a Daniel Ricardo fan through and through. So I'm just really happy to see him back on the grid, of course, but just happy to see him happy himself. And yeah. he seems to be like in a really, really good mental and physical state. And I think that is so integral to performing well in a race car. And we just saw him at a McLaren and it just seemed like the Daniel smile was a little bit sadder and he was carrying so much weight within him and I really think these seven months off has have allowed him to not only kind of take a step back from F1 but to really fall in love with the sport again and be excited to be out in a race car and then when he's on the grid getting ready to race you see the support from Christian and Helmet going to see him before the race and I think he's back in an organization that really cares about him and sees the value in him. And that's so important, I think, as a race car driver is to really feel like you're valued. And I don't necessarily think that he was feeling that at McLaren. Of course, he was not performing. And I think it was the it was a best case scenario for him this weekend. He outqualified his teammate and he finished P13, which is where he started after he was running last in the race for a little bit. So for me, it's best case scenario besides him being in the points, but that was probably a little bit delusional for me <laughs> to, to expect that from him. But I do think that he has the the talent and the expertise. You could hear him talking to the race engineers and he was asking the right 
right kinds of questions and giving him the race engineer the right kind of feedback. And I think that really comes with the experience that he has. And that's only going to help a team like AlphaTari that really needs someone with that, you know, hands-on experience in Formula One for many, many years. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. (laughs) Well said. I think that was... That was perfectly said, and I think that echoes a lot of our sentiments as well. Okay, Michaela, we're going to put you through the For the Girls ringer, a.k.a. hot takes. So, yeah, take a sip of water. (laughs) Get ready. (laughs) Hydrate. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we'll give you a few, um, and yeah, try not to think, just go. Okay, ready? Favorite team? Ferrari. Okay, nice. Best team social admin slash account. Mm, this is like asking me to like pick <laughs> one of my favorite children. <laughs> I like True. This is your, okay, give you, us like your top two because you, you know them so well. I think Jimmy and Aston Martin are really what, what he's done on TikTok has been. Yeah. He just truly understands this younger generation and the kind of content that really we, we love to see. It's really fun. And I think he's super creative. And I've met him in person, just an actual, like a truly, truly wonderful human being inside and out. And I think that what he's done and and also just with Fernando and, and making, yeah. you know, kind of giving him this new arc of fandom, I think is so impressive. <laughs> because um, Fernando has, you know, obviously had a beloved fan base for so many years. um, And he's definitely the Jimmy effect. The Jimmy touch has really worked for him. Um, So I think that's really fun. I mean, even just him sniffing the flowers and then them putting the flowers in the Aston Martin hospitality (laughs) suite. I mean, I just, stuff like that makes me have so much fun because the sport itself is so serious, but outside of it, it can be so unserious. And moments like that are just really fun to capture. So I think Jimmy and Aston Martin, if I had to pick, but I think they're all doing a great job this season. <laughs> they nice. definitely understood the assignment on the Taylor Swift content. So <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that was right. funny. Next, favorite circuit. Um honestly, I'm I'm gonna do something different than I normally do. And I'm gonna say the Hungarian Grand Prix because so many people have talked to me about their experiences at this track and how from a fan perspective, it was really great and affordable. And obviously it had a really you know exciting qualifying and race. We've had some really wonderful race moments at Hungary. And so I think that one is definitely gonna be on my bucket list moving forward. And it's in a beautiful country as well. Well, now you have until 2032 to go. They have a long extension. <laughs> we'll be like you. a grandma rolling up. <laughs> Good Budapest. I love that. So next, we already know a little bit about how you watch that it's normally so early, but what do you pick between ESPN or F1 TV? What's kind of your watching style? I'm a little bit of a crazy person, so I will watch the race like on my TV, just like ESPN kind of standard, um, because that's just what I'll use to, you know, post my live race recaps on. But then, then of course, you have F1 TV and you can, you know, watch (laughs) certain drivers because I want to keep up to date on certain people that I'm a little bit more, let's say, interested in how they're going to finish the race so I'm trying to watch all the different onboards and stuff like that so I'm a really crazy person that I have many screens all at once but the main attraction is just the normal like ESPN Sky Sports very nice you know, F1 TV yeah 
we always are split on this. Sarah loves F1 TV. I always do ESPN, um, a whole split. How about, um, I guess you kind of said hungry, but if you had to pick another one, country or city you most want to see, oh, you most want to see a new race in. So if you had to go anywhere in the world to pick a new race at. I, I want to see a race in South Africa. I really do. Yes. Same. That's a big one. Top of yeah. my list. Yeah. I think that would be amazing and would definitely love to see see them back in, in South Africa. And I know so many people of my followers who live there, they're like, come on, please. And, and there's all this discussion on three U.S. races and a lot of people aren't excited about that. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that we can find a happy medium and, and get some good races on the calendar. All right. Favorite underdog. Hmm. The first person that went to my mind is probably an ironic one after this past weekend, but Joe Guan Yu. I met him in Miami and he's just a really wonderful, very nice person. And I think he came in, obviously, Antonio Giovinazzi, and he took that seat. And there was a lot of discussion on when that happened and why that happened. And that had to have been really hard to walk into. And I think... I really enjoy him and Valtteri's relationship. It really seems like it's an amicable yeah. one. And I love that he's just kind of embraced his own personal unique style and really kind of set himself, um, you know, to be individualized from the other drivers. So I really, really admire that about him. And to be driving for Alfa Romeo when it's obviously not the best car on the grid and they haven't gotten the best results and to just constantly keep showing up. I have a lot of respect for that and I really um you know admire him and all these partnerships he's getting with Dior and Prada like that's yeah. that's some really major um partnerships to have so kudos to him totally they are not just throwing out partnerships to any no. athlete no. that wants them and those are major major brands like he's gotten Lululemon Prada Dior a couple I think it was was it Hennessy I can't remember the other one but I mean, very, very internationally recognized brands. Yeah, love it. And last but not least, drumroll, please. Your favorite driver. <laughs> this is the number one question I get asked because I don't think anyone truly knows who my personal <laughs> favorite driver is. But if I had to pick, it would be Daniel Joseph Ricardo. What a man. <laughs> I did not know his middle name. Oh, really? I, I often refer to the drivers using their middle name, which is I love really it. strange. But yeah, <laughs> Daniel Joseph Ricardo. There you go. <laughs> love that. All right. So to wrap up, we always do our radio of the week. This week was Max. Everything okay? Just checking in. Bored. 30 <laughs> seconds ahead of the field. Miles ahead of his own teammate. Just kind of sums up the season in a nutshell. <laughs> like, hey there. Just, just. Max's sense of humor is is really something that should be talked about more because I think he's genuinely a very funny human being and very witty. Just talk to oh Sarah. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> I could I could talk about this forever. <laughs> he has like such a serious deadpan kind of humor. So you gotta know when he's joking or not. Otherwise you can take it the wrong way. But in that context, <laughs> I'll give it to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for standings for drivers. Also, drum roll, please. Max, 281 <laughs> points. Checo, 171. Alonso, still coming in third, 139. Hamilton, though, only six points down at 133. 
And then it starts to get pretty tight. We have Russell at 90, Signs at 87, Leclerc at 80, and Lando at 60. And for constructors, it pains me. Red Bull, 452 points. Mercedes, 223. That's basically half. (laughs) Aston Martin, 184. Ferrari, 167. McLaren, 87. And Alpine, now 40, 40 points behind them at 47. And with that, Michaela, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a blast. This was so fun. Thank you. It was so fun. Loved it. And we'll chat with you guys for Belgium. Thank you.